the fern. The chalet has a place in my 84 years of life that is quite disproportionate to its size. In the years before I built it, I came to this village as a boy, first to ski on skis of ash or hickory, using seal skins to climb uphill and leather bindings to come down again, then to walk the mountains in summer with my wise Oxford mentor, Vivian Green, the late rector of Lincoln College, who gave me, by his example, the inner life of George Smiley. It's no coincidence that Smiley, like Vivian, loved his Swiss Alps, or like Vivian, found his consolation in landscape, or like myself, had a lifelong, unreconciled relationship with the German muse. It was Vivian who put up with my maunderings about my wayward father, Ronnie. Vivian again, who, when Ronnie made one of his more spectacular bankruptcies, found the necessary cash and hauled me back to Oxford to complete my studies. In Bern, I had got to know the scion of the oldest family of hotel owners in the Oberland. Without his later influence, I would never have been allowed to build the chalet in the first place, for then, as now, no foreigner may own so much as a square foot of village land. It was also while I was in Bern that I took my first infant steps for British intelligence, delivering I knew not what to I knew not whom. I spend a lot of odd moments these days, wondering what my life would have looked like if I hadn't bolted from my public school or if I had bolted in a different direction. It strikes me now that everything that happened later in life was the consequence of that one impulsive adolescent decision to get out of England by the fastest available route and embrace the German muse as a substitute mother. I wasn't a failure at school, far from it captain of things, winner of school prizes, potential golden boy. And it was a very discreet bolt. I didn't howl and scream. I just said, Father, you may do with me what you will. I won't go back. And very probably I blamed the school for my woes and England along with it, when my real motive was to get out from under my father at all costs, which I could hardly say to him. And since then, of course, I've watched my own children do the same, though more elegantly and with a lot less fuss. But none of that answers the central question of what direction my life might otherwise have taken. Without Ben, would I have been recruited as a teenaged errand boy of British intelligence, doing what the trade calls a little of this and a little of that? I hadn't read Somerset Maugham's Ashenden by then, but I had certainly read Kipling's Kim and any number of chauvinistic adventure stories by G. A. Henty and his ilk. Dornford Yates, John Buchan and Ryder Haggard could do no wrong. And of course, a mere four years after the war's end, I was the greatest British patriot in the hemisphere. At my preparatory school, we boys had become expert at identifying German spies in our ranks, and I was counted one of our better counter-espionage operatives. 
at my public school, our jingoistic fervour was unconfined. We did corps military training in full uniform, twice a week. Our young teachers had returned tanned from the war and on corps days sported their medal ribbons. My German teacher had had a wonderfully mysterious war. Our careers advisor prepared us for a lifetime service in distant outposts of empire. The abbey at the heart of our little town was hung with regimental flags shot to shreds in colonial wars in India, South Africa and Sudan, the shreds then restored to glory on fishnet by loving female hands. It is therefore no sort of surprise when the great call came to me in the person of a thirty-something mumsy lady named Wendy from the British Embassy's visa section in Bern, that the seventeen-year-old English schoolboy punching above...